Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're going to continue exploring scriptures dealing with the Son of Man as we compare and contrast that term, a descriptive term of Jesus, with the other one, the Son of God. The Son of God compared and contrasted with the Son of Man. We've spent quite a bit of time already looking at the Son of God, and we have been spending uh, the last several programs looking at the judgment side of the Son of Man, which is principally what that term, the Son of Man, connotes. When you see that term, Son of Man, in the Scriptures, the context of what you're reading almost always has to do with judgment. And we have been spending quite a bit of time in the Gospels with uh, Luke 22, Mark 14, and Matthew 26 to establish that. And then today, I want to transition a little bit away from the judgment aspect of it to show you that even though we're talking about the Son of Man, the Son of Man coming back to judge, remember, not all judgment is negative. There will be positive judgment. There will be blessing for those who in the judgment are found righteous. But it is that period of time in the yet future um, prophetic scenario, prophetic chronology called the second coming. The Son of Man has nothing to do with the church, has nothing to do with the rapture of the church. So I want to make that point clear that we're talking about a, a general umbrella term of Son of Man that, yes, it does connote principally judgment, and it's a negative judgment uh, in most cases, but part of the judgment of the Son of Man at the second coming will be positive. So I wanted to go through some scriptures to establish that, but I wanted to go back and quickly show the distinction for you. We went to Matthew 26 in our last program. We actually finished up with that, and I'd like to go back there, Matthew chapter 26, and we were looking at verses um, 63 through 66. And again, the context, if you're joining us for the first time, is uh, this is the the, um, judgment, the trial, if you will, uh, the kangaroo court, because none of this, none of the accusations were true. They simply wanted to get rid of Jesus and they wanted to get rid of him permanently, i.e. have him killed by the Romans. Remember, the Jews had no authority to kill people. They could uh, do other things, but they had no authority over, under the Roman rule at the time in Jerusalem to kill anyone. So they had to convince Pilate, in this case, who was the governor, they had to convince him of the guilt of Jesus, a guilt-deserving death, and they ultimately um, got him to do that, although he tried three times to let Jesus go. We know that from the Scriptures. But the Jews were so adamant they wanted to get rid of him. So we see um, Jesus 
basically condemning um, the leaders, the council of elders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes who were sitting in judgment, bringing these charges and these accusations against Jesus, Jesus, we see them baiting him and Jesus coming back and judging them as the Son of Man. So again, Matthew 26, starting at verse 63. But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. In other words, you've said, I am the Son of God. You've said it yourself. You've confirmed it. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. So Jesus is basically telling the high priest that, yes, you said I am the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. I admit that I am. Nevertheless, looking at his accusers, I tell you, hereafter, you accusers, you unbelievers, will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And if you were with us in our last program, we made the point that Jesus is basically making two separate charges here. The first one is a charge directly to the people who are who he is standing in front of, this council of elders, telling them that hereafter, in other words, in the future, you're going to see me as the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. What he's telling them is, the next time you see me after you kill me is I'm going to be your judge. I'm going to be sitting on my throne at the great white throne judgment at the end of the millennial kingdom, which for these people was yet 3,000 years in the future and has yet to happen. Um, I'm going to sit as your judge. That's when you're going to see me because you refuse to acknowledge me as the Son of God. If you had acknowledged me, I would have uh, granted you salvation and you would see me as the Son of God and you would um, have an eternal life with me and my Father. But as it is, I'm going to judge you at the great white throne judgment and you're going to spend eternity separated from me separated from my father, and that is the lake of fire. Then he also, and I, again, I wanted to make this point because people just tend to read right over this portion of this verse and don't think anything of it, but he's saying, you, the people standing in front of him, or sitting in front of him, will see me at the great white throne, and then he says, comma, and coming on the clouds of heaven. That is a reference, a direct reference, and we'll see that. Uh, actually, it's in Matthew 24, and we'll get to that uh, as part of the study of the Son of Man. This is a description of the second coming of Christ. So they're talking to him as part of his first coming, his first advent. 
there's going to be a judgment at his second coming, at his second advent, when he's going to judge the Jews who are the yet future generations of Israel that these council of elders are representative of at the time of Christ. So he's saying in a yet future judgment, I'm going to judge your offspring for the same thing. They refuse to accept me as their Messiah. They refuse to see me and accept me as the Son of God. So there's two judgments being talked about here. The great white throne that these people sitting there in judgment of Christ will um, uh, have to experience, and it's going to be a terrible thing. And then there's going to be another judgment um, when he comes back at his second coming for all the Jews that are living on the earth at the time. So you see that he's, he's saying that you've got some very terrible judgments that are going to result in the lake of fire and eternal separation from God that are in your future. But I wanted to transition uh, and do a couple of things. First of all, I want you to see the difference between um, the term the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, which is a very clear, as we have said, a very clear description of a yet future judgment resulting in separation from the love of God, and the same kind of um, scenario with a totally different outcome. So we're in Matthew 26. I'd like us to go to Acts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Let's go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. And this is a period of time to give us some context to the passage a period of time after Jesus Christ has been crucified, buried, gloriously resurrected. He walked among the believers uh, in Jerusalem and up in the Galilee uh, for a period of 40 days, and then he went back to heaven. We see that in Acts chapter 1. So now this is the period of time with the birth of the church. Remember, the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. So anybody who died from Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, going forward, instead of going down to Abraham's bosom, would go up to heaven. Their spirit would go up to heaven, and they would be part of what is called the church, part of the church. So in Acts chapter 7, this is a wonderful review of Stephen before the same council. Now, this is several years later. Uh, from when we met, uh, we uh, were in Matthew chapter 26 with Jesus, so several years later. But Stephen is standing before the council and he's reviewing the history of Israel and uh, telling them why they should have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior instead of crucifying him. Of course, the Sanhedrin just lost it uh, with him and it, they just got extremely angry with Stephen. And ultimately, they stoned him. But the point I wanted to make in Acts chapter 7 is to go to verse 56. They decided that they're going to stone him. And in Acts chapter 56, actually let's go to Acts chapter 55 uh, to get the context here. Acts chapter 7 verse 55. But being full of the Holy Spirit. So there we have an, an acknowledgement of a church member full of the Holy Spirit, he, Stephen, gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus 
standing at the right hand of God. Verse 56, And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And of course, it they just went crazy and drove him out of the city and um, stoned him to death. And of course, his spirit went to heaven, and he we will see him again because he's part of the church. Stephen is the first uh, martyr, really, if you will, of the church age. But the key point I wanted to make here is a very positive understanding of this phraseology, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In other words, he's standing up to welcome Stephen to heaven. When we looked at, um, if you're looking at your worksheet there uh, under the Son of Man, you see the Luke 22 passage, the Mark 14 passage, and of course the Matthew 26 passage that we just uh, finished with, you see that Jesus is telling them that you will see the Son of Man seated, seated. He sits in judgment. He stands to welcome you. He stands to welcome you. So this is a very positive image of Christ. Here is a martyr who is standing on his faith uh, and is willing to die for that faith. Um, and the reward, of course, is going to be an eternity with Jesus and God the Father uh, in heaven, as well as our work that will be uh, allocated to us for the thousand years on the earth during the uh, millennial kingdom. But that's a story for another day. Uh, the point is here, this is a very positive aspect. So Stephen is seeing Jesus standing and the, sig- the particular significance here is many, and we don't know because it's not delineated by name, but you've got to believe there's been just a few years between the trial of Jesus and the trial of Stephen. So many, if not really all, of the council of elders that accused Jesus and heard him say, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God, are now hearing Stephen say, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And they, of course, being um, high-level religious leaders and whatnot and very aware of the kingly nature of um, the way things are done, they understood what it meant to sit on the throne as opposed to stand on the throne. So here they're seeing Jesus being described by Stephen as standing. So that just, uh, you can imagine how that infuriated them that uh, they had been accused, they're going to be judged, and yet Jesus sees him being received by this same Jesus. And you notice in verse 56 that Jesus is uh, being referred to by Stephen as son of man. Why would he do that? Because that's the way Jesus related it to the same council those few years before, he said, you're going to see the Son of Man seated. I'm seeing the Son of Man standing. So he's not um, demeaning or diminishing the term here by saying Son of Man as opposed to Son of God, but he's making the point almost verbatim using the same phraseology that Jesus used because they understand the Son of Man judging aspect but Stephen sees him as the reward 
the uh, the father welcoming the child home, if you will. So uh, I wanted to bring that particular passage to you to show you that the Son of Man has a positive connotation, but it's also part of um, the judging side. You can see where he's using the term Son of Man because it, it uh, is relatable uh, to and by the Council of Elders as opposed to the term Son of God. So now let's move on. And let's go back to the book of Mark. Uh, remember, we were in Mark 14 looking at uh, the Sanhedrin uh, and the uh, Pharisees being charged by Jesus. Now let's go to the book of Mark and go to Mark 2, Mark chapter 2. And I want to look at a miracle here and see how the term the Son of Man is used here in a positive way, again, because of the audience, because of the audience. So Mark chapter 2, and let's look at verses 5 through 12. It's uh, listed there on your worksheet that's available from the radio station here. Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 5. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And that word son there is capitalized, but it could be child. As you see, I have it in the um, column footnote here. It's a term, child. Your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes, remember the scribes are part of that um, council of elders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the the scribes. In verse 6, but some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk? Verse 10, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. Verse 12, And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So the point I want to make here as we continue to look at the Scriptures to understand this term, the Son of Man, as it applies to Jesus, that again, it is almost always used in the context of judging. But there are instances, and we'll look at a few of them here as we start in Mark 2 and go forward. There are some instances where there is the positive aspect. Here you have the term Son of Man related with the forgiving of sins. So he's saying this because who's asking the question? You have to look at the audience. It's the scribes. They do not believe that he's the Son of God. So he's saying the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So a very positive aspect, even though it's the term Son of Man. We'll continue that as we move into um, Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4 in our next program, but let's... uh, Move on to our Q&A period as we continue to look at the 
work of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is manifested, uh, particularly during the tribulation period, which has to do with the question from Rich in Indian Springs about uh, is the Holy Spirit present during the tribulation, and if so, how? And in our last program, we had gone to Ezekiel 33 uh, as kind of a culmination of Old Testament passages making the point that in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament goes all the way up into the New Testament to the point in time where the church is initiated, and that's in Acts chapter 2 with Pentecost. Before that, the Holy Spirit functioned in a way different than he does today during the church age. And we made that point, and hopefully um, clearly enough, uh, particularly with Ezekiel 33, verses 11 through 13, that the Holy Spirit would come on someone when they were righteous uh, in their faith, in their belief, but if they turned from their righteousness to iniquity, if they turned from their righteousness to a sinful lifestyle, the Holy Spirit would leave them. Uh, just as the Holy Spirit left King Saul, we saw back in uh, 1 Samuel 16, verses 13 and 14, um, the, the Holy Spirit left Saul but came on David. Yet David prayed in Psalm 51, verse 11, to the Father God not to take his Holy Spirit from David. So the Holy Spirit would come on a person when they were righteous, but if they turn to iniquity, the Holy Spirit would leave them. And the point is that if you were in a state of iniquity and sin at the point of your death, you would go to hell. Now, that's not true during the church age. During the church age, the Holy Spirit would come on you and in you, and according to John chapter 14, will never leave you. So that if you uh, have a season, if you will, to use one of the common phraseologies, a season where you have, if you will, wandered off the path and done some things that you shouldn't do, the Holy Spirit would never leave you if you are a true Christian, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. That's the key point here. He would never leave you. The, the other point is that with Jesus have, having gone back to heaven, he is our mediator. And First John tells us that if we sin, we have an advocate, a mediator in heaven who is faithful and just, and if we ask him, he will forgive us our sins. But the Holy Spirit remains in each individual uh, of what is called the church. The church is not a building. It's not brick and mortar. It's made up of people. Uh, But there's going to be a point in time, and I pray very soon, a point in time when Jesus is going to come back, and there are several scriptures to tell us this, will come back. Uh, not to the earth, but in the air, and we will be lifted up off the earth uh, to meet him and go back to heaven with him. It's called the rapture of the church, and that will happen before the tribulation starts because the Holy Spirit will change the way he works at that particular point in time. He will go with the church. He will be taken off the church, uh, off the earth, with the church at the rapture, but then will manifest himself once again on the earth as he did in the Old Testament. And that's the point I want to make here as we 
quickly review where we were last time in Matthew chapter 24, verses 13 and 14. And this is Jesus in a parable, or in a discussion, I should say, that includes parables, um, answering questions from the apostles on the Mount of Olives. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse, having to do with the end of the age. So he's telling them about the tribulation period and his second coming. So this is yet 2,000 years in the future. And he says in Matthew chapter 24, verses 13 and 14, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So there are a couple of things here that are important to understand. First, verse 13, which is one of the most taken out of context, misapplied, misunderstood verses, I think, in probably the whole Bible, because so many theologians want to apply this to the church, and it has nothing to do with the church. The church is not in the picture at all. This has to do with Israel at the end of the tribulation period. That's what is referred to by the term, the end, the end of the tribulation. And it says, those who in, the one who endures to the end of the tribulation, he will be saved. Remember back to Ezekiel chapter 33, we're told that if you are found to be righteous at the end of the tribulation, you will be saved. If you were righteous at some point during the tribulation, yet then turn to iniquity and a lifestyle of sin, and the end came, you would be um, cast into the lake of fire, ultimately, uh, at the great white throne judgment. So you never see the term uh, enduring to the end to be saved applied to the church. We're, we're admonished to endure to the end, to the end of our life, so that we will receive our rewards there's admonishments of enduring so that you don't have your rewards taken from you. There's nothing about being saved. They, the church is saved. So this is not applying at all to the church. Another way we know is verse 14. It says this gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the gospel of the kingdom was the gospel that was preached by Jesus when he came the first time saying, I am the king, I'm here to set up my promised earthly kingdom right now if you will accept me and believe that I am the Son of God sent by my Father to fulfill the Old Testament co uh, covenants or promises to Israel. That was the gospel of the kingdom. But when the Jews during the life of Christ turned away from him and did not believe him or accept him as the son of God, as the promised king, he changed his, his uh, gospel, his good news message from the gospel of the kingdom. The king is here. I'm ready to set up my kingdom. He changed it to the gospel of grace and basically postponed the offer of the kingdom to Israel. When the church is gone and that period of the church age, the period of grace is gone, then he will return to the gospel of the kingdom as is listed here in Matthew twenty four fourteen, because he is again the second time coming 
and he's going to come to the earth to set up his kingdom. So that's what's going to be preached during the tribulation. And we'll continue this discussion in our next program. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.